This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. Rock. Paper. Pixels. I am Patrick Avioli, and welcome to Rock, Paper, Pixels. The focus of this show is to show how our need to communicate has created a new economy. Our returning guest today is a New York Times bestselling author, brand storyteller, adjunct professor at LIU Post, and a member of the Friars Club. As we found out in part one of this interview, our guest has been in the game design industry since 1998. He has witnessed the growth of both the gaming industry and the rise of social media, two very autonomous and socially integrated areas. What we will discuss today is the impact of digital content on society, corporate responsibilities, or is it just a digital Darwinism at its finest? Uh, This could be an interesting area of discussion. Welcome back, Brian Shields. How are you, Brian? Hi, Patrick. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm okay today. Uh, Here's just quick. Last time we did a long bio on you. But I want to kind of explain, uh, if you could quickly, uh, where you started in gaming. I, I, we talked about an internship. And if you can give me any games or a, any environments like that that you worked on. So sure. I, so so yeah. my, uh, my career started in the video game business in sports marketing at Acclaim Entertainment. That, was, that began as an, a full-time summer internship. And uh, six and a half years later, I left there as a global brand manager. So I was working on uh, franchises like All-Star Baseball, NBA Jam, NFL Quarterback Club, um, the WWE video game series at that time, and, and games like that. Um, and, then, and then from there, uh, I did some consulting. I landed at Canon USA, which is over the last probably five and a half years is in Melville. Um, but when I worked there, uh, their longtime home was in Lake Success. And that was um, doing uh, product marketing, digital content creation, copywriting, video production, things like that. And um, for you know, roughly the last uh, five and a half years, I've been running my own company. Um, and part of that, the last three uh, has included being an adjunct at LIU Post, teaching digital marketing tools and social media tools, which is essentially uh, one-on-one courses. My students are primarily juniors and seniors. So for me, Patrick, um, my career has, has really included from the beginning uh, brand management, uh, copywriting, and digital content creation. So uh, that's you know, kind of in a, in a nutshell, uh, where, where my career has been. And from the last time we talked, we really said it's been 20 years. Yes. And you've been in it since the beginning. Uh, you're 41. You said last time I'm 62. When I was 41, 21 years ago, it was 1997. Yeah. Everything was just popping like crazy. And I kind of watched it grow, and I had a lot of opinions back then. And one of the things I said back then to myself, because back then I'm still, as I said last time, really good friends with the four young people that were with me. 
And a lot of my students, and you know this as a teacher, that's a major payoff. But they always joke with me, Pat, can't you just play lottery numbers for us? You know, why are you going so in-depth with this stuff? And I've always joked around that I'm a bit of a Cassandra. I say things because I see ahead a little bit, and that's just my curse because no one ever listens to me, and that's fine. But back then, I said, this will become a Tower of Babel. Mm -hmm. uh, I literally use those words, and my fourth book was going to be called Tower of Babel, B-A-B-B-L-E, A Study in Cognitive Dissonance. There was no way you could not see that this much of a democratization of broadcast, of network, of distribution, was not going to generate total confusion. And the term today, fake news, uh, is a brilliant term. And we really are getting shaken to the core uh, about what course to follow as, as, a, as a, a mankind, as a country, as people. Uh, our, our Walter Cronkite days are far behind us. And this has to do with social media. It has to do with the gaming environment. It has a little bit to do with Tipper Gore, and it has a, you know, a lot to do with how we're going to handle this much freedom. It's like we handed the keys to a 17-year-old on Friday night, and as parents, we're just sitting in the living room sweating until that car pulls back in the driveway, okay? Right. I, you haven't gone through that yet. I've gone through it twice. Mm -hmm. uh, so let me just jump to a little hypothesis on my sec third book, Veal. I said marketplace manipulation was put into play the first time housing in the 80s with the Keating Five, the second time housing with Too Big to Fail, and how it made sure that there was no one home with these young people. Mm -hmm. Now you have in the step called abusive use of technology. And that's where I kind of think we are today. I think we're at a level today where obviously anybody can tweet, anybody can post online, anybody can make statements that are not necessarily true, and it matters your level of respect in community that that statement has the ripple effect. So now, we talked last time about a game like Active Shooter. And I totally understand you're saying clearly you do not advocate, advocate such games. And of course you wouldn't. But my question is, when I say abusive use of technology, are we, is the ramp towards that from the earliest days right through uh, Grand Theft Auto, now an active shooter, have we end Twitter and what people get to say on Facebook, and what we've seen in the news, and I always say Homeland, uh, the show Homeland, is next week's news tonight. You know, the John Oliver kind of parody there. So has all of this been nothing more than a means of tenderizing the veal to see how much they would accept? Well, I mean, we're, we're definitely at, at an interesting time. I mean, I, 
I remember very, very, very quickly. I remember senior year of high school. Um, my high school sent out a letter to all of the students saying that there was something called InfoTrack in the library okay. where they were touting this, what, you know, connectivity where uh, if a student needed a book and our school library didn't have it, they could go to the library, log on to a system, and fall of 1994, uh, by the time I got to Adelphi University a year later, um, Patrick, you could not get a seat in any of the computer labs in any of the buildings on campus. Very true. Now, wait a minute. The high school, we, we kind of buffered there for a second. So the high school info track, it was so new, you were saying. But what year was that again? That was 1994. So this was like October of 1994. And I have to tell you, as a senior, uh, as someone who grew up with a computer in his home as a kid, um, none of us had any idea what that, what that really was, what it meant. Um, of course, you know, the, the, the supposed wisdom of a senior in high school you don't think you need anything provided by the school. No. Um, but, you know, I just remember because I enjoyed our conversation so much last time and it, it just brought up all these different kinds of memories. And, yeah. and, I remember, and I just remember, you know, October of 1994, getting that letter. And then a year later, 12 months later, being on campus at Adelphi University as a freshman thinking to myself, what are all these people doing on these computers where you can't get a seat yeah. in, in any of the computer labs anywhere on campus? And, you know, and to think where we are now. The inversion uh, of it. I, I just, and I never imagined, even when I started working, Patrick, in, in 1998, let's just say the late 90s in general, early 2000s, if somebody sent an email at eight o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night, it was understood that that was going to be viewed the next day. Great point. And it was like the equivalent of somebody dialing 911 professionally. Yeah. Um, if somebody sent an email on a weekend, it was like, what are you doing? Why? Yeah, How yeah. It was like, well, is this? It was like, what is going on? And I saw that uh, that change from you know the emails going on really during more of the business day to then late at night to the weekend and then by like by the early the morning. Yeah, and then and then by the early to mid two thousands. You know, a lot of people are checking their email from home. Uh, some of the companies are, are giving the employees laptops to bring home. So my, my point in this, Patrick, is some of it, I think, is just a natural progression and timing. Um, and I think also, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that that really fits what we're talking about in terms of something that was part, that has really almost um, 
combined per- professional lives and personal lives prior to this. Right. Yeah. So I, I so I think what we have now, for better or worse, is this progression and evolution of technology and communication that has now just become a part of of who our culture is today yeah yeah Yeah. well here's my point back to that we're talking about abusive use of technology we're saying that now companies individuals today it's commonplace to get emails all night day vacation weekends doesn't matter right and we're saying that's a form of abuse that we've accepted now certain countries are outlawing it france of course is outlawing it and they should but here's my my belief, and this is where, you know, a lot of my people, uh, a lot of my friends and people I know say things like, you know, a little bit of uh, too much paranoia on my part. However, I think the, the first tenet of marketplace manipulation has caused that to be accepted. When you have mortgages and you know that you cannot fall behind, you have a second income now, neither one of you can. When you've instilled that much fear into the family unit or to the young person growing up, looking at this six, seven, and $800,000 starter home or any kind of residence, right. you know that they won't ignore those emails. You know you can guarantee mom, dad, or whomever are not going to say, I'm not answering my email this weekend. So when you put the fear of your basic uh, needs, housing, shelter from the storm, into people's hearts, you have now guaranteed that they're going to answer those emails. It's, It's not just ambition anymore. To me, now it's survival. So once you instill that fear, now you can abuse the technology because there will be a recipient. Right. And I I think the other thing also is, is that it creates and, um, you know, there have been so many highlights for me working, uh, but there have also been disappointments. and, And some of my disappointments have been you know, working in very poor office or corporate cultures. Yes. And one of them that I have seen really develop into a bit of a monster over the last, uh, let's say, five to six years, just rounding, using round numbers, um, is this this, uh, almost like culture of, well, whoever responds to the email first is the one is the one who's really doing their job. Absolutely. You said and, that last time. You also said just because you can respond first doesn't mean you're right. Yeah, and, and, and I, I have to say I, I am a bit biased because I have a disdain for it. Yeah. Um, I, I also prefer email as a way to have limited communication because things can be so easily misinterpreted by just absolutely. reading words. Uh, but I love email for that, for limited communication, which then sets up an in-person meeting over the yeah. phone, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, and, and I also love it for the um, 
the transfer of files, things like that. And, and I know that some of the stuff I'm saying may sound very antiquated, but no, um, it's not real. I mean, we have things today like Slack, obviously, in an office environment where, you know, teams can go back and forth all day long. And the joke was, I don't know if you saw it the other day, Slack went down and they went to Twitter and everybody was hysterical. Like, do you mean I actually have to get out of my chair, walk yeah. down the hallway and talk to my coworker? I can't do that. And I agree with what you're saying. And it's not really uh, an, an antique or antiquated method of looking at this. It is something we've lost. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's going to seem totally off base, but hear with me. Yeah, hear me out with this. Uh, a recent guest, Mitchell Ridgey, put up a video today from Mashable that Disney has perfected robots to do stunts at theme parks. Okay. Human robots, looking robots, are now going on the trapeze and doing all of this amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so are we not further removing the human? And I'm not talking about just stunt people. What I really mean is, staring at this, is anybody in the crowd going, wow? Or are they, you know, trying to figure out how the mechanics work? Or are they now numb to the concept of the man flying through air? It's a piece of metal plastic. So what I'm saying is, as technology goes down the road, are we just drumming out any form of human interaction, accomplishment, and how damaging is it? Or are we just breeding a new generation? You well, I mean? that's where I think we're talking about the same point. Right. How, absolutely, how dangerous absolutely. is that new generation? Absolutely. And I, I think the, the thing that, that has always concerned me is, is what you're, you're talking about as well, essentially is kind of minimizing human interaction yeah that 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 face to face uh even over the phone i mean i could tell sometimes yeah. um with with certain clients there's almost and um they almost become exasperated at the thought of 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 having to you know possibly have a call and you know and it's like well we could go back and forth with 75 emails in 24 hours. Exactly. Where, where you just become numb to the whole process. Or we could pick up a phone and talk for maybe 10 minutes or 15 minutes with some basic dialogue, yes. Q&A, question, right. response. And then, we're, I mean, I tell that to my students also because it's so exasperating this idea of just constantly pounding uh, the virtual keyboard on your smartphone when you but could just, you why, know. Why do they like phone. that distance? I, I, think, I think part of it is, um, is there's is there a, a distraction level that, see here, just hear me out for a second and, you know, yep. then you can tell me I'm, you're younger. You know, there's 60, 40, now 20. You know what I'm saying? You're much yes. closer to 20 than I am, and that's why I'm asking. Is this because they would much rather be checking out their feed 
and finding out what Kimye's done today, mm-hmm. or in essence, keep pushing their importance in something that probably has nothing to do with work, which they deem to be more important. Do you think that's why they don't want the constrained 15, 20 minute, half an hour phone meeting? Well, I think part of it is is the way that they've been. I, I think part of it is the world they've been brought up in. Yeah, they, you know, because they've been brought up in a world of um, ultra instant gratification. Oh yeah, they've been, they, they've been brought up where you know Google is a verb. Everything is is yeah. a one click away. And here's the other thing, you know, I mean everything. There's also there there has always been a chat element in their lives. Yes. So so I think part of it is is just this is the world that they live in. Whereas people in my age group, yes, we were young and we were children in a larger sense. But when this really came came out, no, it was the um, same thing. Not at we all. Were yeah. seven, we were seventeen, eighteen years old. Not already formed. Right. Not not eight and nine years old. Absolutely. My so, kids were uh, 95. My son was six. My yep. daughter was two. Yeah. So. And the totally so different they, world. My daughter, forget it. My son still has the edge of this ain't real. But no, if you were that, if you were two and three when this hit, you don't know anything else. That's what I mean. So, so I think that that is part of it. And that's why I also think, um, you know, you get, and I get different feedback anecdotally, as I'm sure you do, and, and, and many other faculty members do that, you know, once they start working in a professional environment, um, some of these things change because their environment has now changed. So is this a step, uh, this is a really big question, and I re- almost don't want an answer to it, but it's something I want to think about while we talk. Okay. Is, is this nothing more than evolution? You know what I mean? That's, of of yeah. the species. That, that's, that's, my, that's my initial thought, is that, is that this is the, the evolution of, uh, of technology and communication to the human. Being human, but but again, taking such a unique aspect of our personal life and professional life, and I I was just reminded of something else. I remember uh, in the in the late '90s, there were people that who I worked with from Acclaim who were getting picked by poached by Microsoft sure, uh, sure. Be, because they were launching their first Xbox. Oh, video! Amazing story that story. And and I remember uh, keeping in touch with some of them who were, um, who were native New Yorkers who were now you know transplants out in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, while they were dealing with their own culture shocks there, one of the things they talked about was how everybody at Microsoft at the time basically used like chat in the office yeah and it was it was only for rare occasions where you were having like big meetings in person like yeah. and so you know so i do i go back to 
what you said, where it, it seems like we're just in the midst of this evolution that is also progressing and developing faster than possibly anything else we've seen Before. that has had such an impact yes. on, on our society. So that leads to the question of, can we cope with it mentally, physically, mentally? You know, today if you read, anxiety levels are up. Uh, I hate to say this, they're saying suicides are up. Yeah, uh, that's true. Tremendous anxiety. ADHD, ADD, I was ADD. Mm -hmm. I absolutely was, but that's just my chemical makeup. But see, this is why I gotta go back that without there being someone in the home at the young ages to say no, stop it, go outside and play. And, and Dr. Michael Hines said in an interview, they're not allowed to be bored. So it's my belief that, listen, it's not male, it's not female, it's just someone with the kids that have a one-to-one -one relationship. Uh, you put them into daycare, and there are 16, 20-to-one ratio. They're not getting the same development. Uh, I don't care, and I'm not trying to start trouble, but you know, you got to be honest. That you did in a one-to-one -one relationship with a parent. Now, not to go off topic, I'm going to say it once really quick and stop. And I don't even want you to respond to this. Okay. Because I don't want to go down this road. But we see what's happening in the news today with the, with the uh, detainees, the child being separated for 55 days, uh, the parents getting them back and saying, this is not the child I knew. I mean, this kind of isolation, this kind of trauma, this was quick and hard. What about when it happens over six years? And then you introduce, well, here's socialization. Go right. chat with somebody. I I will I will uh, I will use this quickly as an example. Uh, our our my uh, my daughter is going to be three in a few weeks. Okay. And uh, my wife and I are very careful about time spent watching television. Yeah. Um, is there a mobile device? Yes, it's for the car and it's for long rides only. And it is, uh, it's also just like, we don't use this for everything, but there was, there was a point where like through Apple TV and Hulu and all this other stuff that, um, we noticed that she was growing impatient because, the, because these programs on these streaming services either don't have a commercial or there's like one as opposed to like if she was watching the Disney channel on regular TV, there are a lot. So we made, we made a conscious effort to almost go to the regular TV channel more. Yeah. Well, imagine it's not you and your wife. Imagine there's 20 of your child and right. there's one person overseeing that. Right. Yeah, and, and that, that is really what my point is. is ab that absolutely. They are prey. And I'm never going to believe that these things were not coordinated. Right. And I know that sounds completely insane. But well, I, I always have this feeling nothing happens by chance. 
Right. And I, uh, and I, there are a lot of things that I, I do feel that way about as well. So, so I do understand the principle of what you're talking about. And I, I think one of the things that has made it extra difficult today is that there's, there's really no, um, there's no call to action for any balance or moderation. Well, that's because of the pressures put on. Yeah. I really, uh, this is why I think the pieces go together. You know, mom, dad, whoever is second income or whatever, that person can't stop. Right. And, and many times, especially if you have two kids, you know, one, thank goodness, two, oh my Lord, that person can't say to their job, I, I can't come in for the next three days. Because my one child has uh, a very bad fever, and the other one I know is going to get it. They're afraid of losing everything. Yeah. And I don't remember that growing up. You know, I, I don't want to get into it, but houses were $10,000. And I'm not saying, you know, listen, the, the annual salary was $10,000. Houses were $10,000. It worked. Something right. got pumped up, and to me, this is a direct stream of revenue from that poor second income or first person into something like the banks and mortgage companies, which we saw what they did in 08. So well, this is where I keep seeing this direct food line set up, and then the collateral damage and maybe purposeful damage to the next generation as digital consumers. Well, and, and to your point, Patrick, about the, about the issues in 08, I mean, I think that's the difficult part is, is when, you, when you see this, this proof of, okay, mortgages are being given to people who yeah. they know through an, an equation or something that, um, that, that they most likely will, will be defaulting on it. And then they put uh, insurance on that happening. Right. So... So that's what I mean. so you know when when you start to really take the time to 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 look and educate yourself on these things, it, it certainly looks that way. So I want to jump past that now, though. I want to okay. give you a, a quick quote from Tristan Harris, who was a uh, a major Google uh, specialist expert, and he's talking about the scale of the problem today. And he says, technology steers what 2 billion people are thinking and believing every day. It's possibly the largest source of influence over 2 billion people's thoughts that has ever been created. Religions and governments don't have that much influence over people's daily thoughts. But we have three technology companies who have this system that frankly they don't even have control over with news feeds and recommended videos and whatever they put in front of you mm -hmm. which is governing what people do with their time and what they're looking at this is from wired magazine our minds have been hijacked by our phones tristan harris mm -hmm. and this is kind of what we just said right oh it, it, it absolutely is it absolutely is Two um billion people Wow. It's only 7 billion on the planet. <laughs> right. 
Um, yeah. it, it, it kind of reminds me of in, uh, in college, in my, uh, in my economics course, I was introduced to the, some of the teachings of Milton Friedman. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, from, you know, what I remember from that, he really felt like there should be in, in almost everything or in many things, very minimal government interaction and, and the whole free market kind of, um, uh, kind of, I guess, mentality. Sure. Um, Model. Yeah. And it's difficult because you don't really know, like, well, are people exercising their freedom to choose what they want to do? Or have we reached a point where it's almost impossible to do without the technology? Well, I think we absolutely have. And I think what we're doing today, this discussion about is, you know, how to handle the abuse of potential right. of technology. Now, corporations do it. I think it's kind of funny that old school advertising of all the things, you know, the number two on the list of who do you trust the least, lawyer and then advertiser, advertising man. I think that it's ironic that the old school advertising people and, and, and agencies and structures have mm -hmm. kind of not jumped all the way in yet. I think they even recognize how evil this can be. And they're like, wow, you know, we didn't sign on for this bad. So, yeah. but, you know what I mean? Like, you know, don't get me wrong. I like to teach the world to sing, you know, where's the beef really mm -hmm. minimal damage compared to, you know, you're nothing if you don't have 80,000 friends on Facebook. Right. And I think this is, I don't know, Brian, if it's reaching a point where, I mean, look at what's in the news. Did, was the election influenced? How about Facebook pulling back uh, and trying desperately to backpedal and trying to make it look like they are benevolent? And, and all of these, you know, we're going to get into gaming very shortly and uh, very, for a very short period of time, a couple of minutes. I really don't want to go in there too deep. But it's all about how much, as Mr. Harris said, Three companies are controlling what two billion people see and think and do and react to every day. Right. And that's really scary, no? I, I think it's I think it's incredibly frightening. It's all, almost to the point of numbing. Um, and I, I think that's why it's important to you know, for, for people to be vigilant and their their own uh, kind of best self advocates to really educate themselves on what they're using, how it's being used, uh, what, what happens to their personal information and, and so many of those, so many of those things. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about this last time we spoke. I, and cause I, I saw a headline uh, from Pew research, their daily newsletter, which I think is excellent. Absolutely. Um, that there was a discovery made recently that, uh, developers were reading people's personal Gmail emails. Sure. So I, I, I just, I go back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago where I still don't understand why the general public is not yes. up in arms about 
the amount of their personal information that is quote unquote needed and they're not demanding answers and they're not you know why brian because they're too busy paying the mortgage i don't mean to be an ass but to me that's where it begins and ends there's so much fear with young couples today i'm talking somebody who works for ups and their partner their wife their husband you know works in a local office building somewhere they have a nice little home in the middle of long island and the taxes are killing them and the month. they don't have time to say is tristan harris reading my gmail right and when you look at that proportion that's 80 percent so when you can get 80 percent going along with you not having an issue with it you win and this is my fear that i don't really know if i have a fear anymore as i said i'm 60 something uh it, it's it's something i really believe when i stood back once you start putting the pressure of financial roof over your head, oil burner not working pressure on families, man, the, the amount of what they care about tightens down. It's like having a heart attack. Right. And trust me, I know what that's like. Right. You, know, you pull all the way back to the core organs. And that's what's happening now. And while that's going on, they're, they're truly uh, – abusing the, uh, the externals. So the question becomes, can these families with these young children or the young children, can they ever get out of this cycle now? And that's where I get upset with gaming because now it's not just daddy shared a picture or mommy shared you with the pool or whatever it is. Now it's Jesus. Now it's, you know, how many clips do you have left? But like now it becomes a point of, wow, are we desensitizing them even further with the concept of killing in human life? And, and that's where I become, wow, we really went for it with that, huh? Now, the games you said you worked on were all sports-related. Yes. Am I right? Yes. And WWE was sports. Whatever, it's entertainment, I get it. Yeah. But these games that we're talking about there's only one goal to these games. There really are. And this is my, to me, the next level of tenderizing the veal. Yes. Yeah. I, and, and I, and I've always understood that, that concern. Um, I mean, look, you know, going back to the uh, late eighties and early nineties with the PC game, leisure suit, Larry, and <laughs> then what, what, what really got things going was in, in the early 90s with games like Mortal Kombat. Yes. Um, you know, th there was always... So for a very long time, there has always been a question and a debate on uh, what is too much, well, uh, how far is too far. And, you know, Patrick, just to frame the conversation a little bit, I mean, all of these things are relative to your age. So... Like, yeah. to me, like to me, I'm 41. I, I think of video games really starting with Pac-Man. Absolutely. You know, some people are a little older than me would say Pong. But, yes. you know, for the, but for the sake of our conversation, you know, 1984, 1985, the Nintendo Entertainment System yes. with Super Mario 
is yeah. really the benchmark because it just blew everything before it away. N64. Right. So, Absolutely. You know, so, you know, in that now, you know, third, almost 35 year period, um, there have been times where, where yes, you know, there, there's been that debate and there, there should always be a debate. But the one thing though, I, I will say is not only is, has since 1994 there been a rating system mm-hmm. um, which is important for not only parents but here's the big thing also Patrick sure. it's also important for retailers to enforce that is that what you talk about ESRB ESRB yeah so so there were times and I worked at a video game retailer in the beginning of, of college so um, you know uh, if a game is rated M for mature, then, you know, it's 18 and over or 17 and over to, to, to buy that game. Um, and the, the video game business, uh, very similar to the movie business, sure. has, has evolved because now you have people who grew up with this as children in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. Yeah. Uh, and it's just like when they were kids watching movies, you know, the, what, they're, what they were watching or what they wanted, wanted being the key, what they wanted to watch as a child has now also evolved and grown and changed to what they want as a teenager and a young adult, and so on, and so on. And what they ex- what they see as a norm. Yes. And this yes. goes to all forms of entertainment. Right. And, and, I, and, I, does. and I think, well, I think the internet has also played a part oh in, in the desensitizing. And there's, there's also, also some... There's no... Uh, used to be networks, you know, controlled what you saw. Uh, distribution companies controlled what were in the theaters. Now, without any of those gates, right? Any website, boom, here it is. Da, 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 you know, and we saw this with Active Shooter. PayPal really was the point that you brought up. PayPal cutting them off was really the only means in which to kind of stop it. Because Steam right. Valve said, we're going to let the consumer decide. And yes. then PayPal said, we don't want to be any part of this. For whatever right. reason. Yes. And that got cut off. And that, again, when you go to the food chain here, when you go to the food line, the pipeline of, of sustenance, PayPal, money, when they cut it off, that's the only time it stopped. Right. And, and that, that is something where I'm very glad that they did that. I'm stunned. Um, you know, but like, and I, and I go back to this very quick point that uh, I've talked about with certain colleagues and I don't think it's brought up enough is that um, like I remember as a kid, there were also rules about when certain movies were shown on television. Absolutely. So, and, and I do feel, I do feel that that is a part of it that we once had that is now has been gone for many years, but like, like I even like if you had cable television in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, there was not an R-rated movie on until nine o'clock. Yes, and anything worse was literally in the morning. 
Yeah, it, it was in the very early mornings, and there were even certain channels yeah. that were really more for that kind of entertainment. Um, you had blocking. You still have blocking capabilities. You, and you yeah, still you, have blocking capabilities on your computer, your kid's computer. But the reality is there's 17,000 ways to get around any of it. Yeah, the, the, and that, that's the thing is there's just so much of it today coming yeah. from so many different angles or – you know, no pun intended channels, yeah. but, um, you know, but, but then again, I, I don't know if, if I really, I don't think it's necessary for kids to be able to turn on the TV today and have access to, or be able to watch an R rated movie. But they just eight. watch it on their phone. That that's the difficult part. I think really the internet changed all of that stuff because it, to your point, you know, everything became accessible immediately. You could, and, you were playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. You were trying and, to stop your kids from seeing this stuff. You were playing whack-a-mole. You were all over the house. Yeah. Well, and then, and then like so many other things, it's then, well, what happens when they're at their friends' houses and right? Well, and all hold on one second. Yes. No. Why would yeah. mom go to GameStop or whatever to buy the game that's supposed to be for 18 and over for her 14-year-old son or daughter? Because when they went over the friend's house, oh, wow, dude, you don't play this? What's the matter with you? Well, you know what? Maybe you can't come over next Saturday. We're going to have a tournament. You don't know how to play Mortal Kombat? You don't know how to play GTA? Oh, my mom, my dad. So now the kid is ostracized from is society group mom doesn't dad doesn't know what to do they got to do something because they need that kid to go it's just becomes a, a real falling down the stairs it it does but it, it does it also is very important for the parent parents or legal guardian to to do some due diligence and take yeah. the kid and say uh, this is not real life. This is not, this is for entertainment. You don't go out and do this with your friends or try to do uh, fighting moves on other people. I mean, I, I look at things, I look at this a little bit differently also, Patrick, only because... There's a 20-year youth difference between us. Uh, well, here's the other thing. Being a kid of the 80s, right. I, gr I grew up with Rambo and Freddy Krueger and, and, and slasher movies. I mean, you know, the, uh, so, and I remember my mom, I remember, you know, people at school, uh, teachers at school. Uh, I remember going to other kids' houses where it was, you know, either you're not allowed to watch A through E at this yeah. kid's house yeah. or, or everybody kind of being on the same page and saying, you know, uh, this is not real. This is entertainment. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, I mean, you know, and I, and I, 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 I know that those things sound a little naive today. No, but well, I, yes and no. I'm going to give you one example, Brian. But you have to have it, though. You, yes. you have to have that. You have to have that first step in order to help the, the child uh, get an idea of what's reality and what's not. You have and, to have and a constant it. reinforcing of that. Right. But it, 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 it's, not, it's not the fix. It's not the 
pressing of the magic button. But no, but I, it's a balance. I, that well, that's how, that's how I feel, and I, I feel that it is an integral part of the development of that child today. This is a fear for what's coming down the road. You know, we, this week's news is our, our president is meeting with the president of Russia, does not want any American press in the room. This stuff is stunning. It, it's stunning what's coming at us. And yeah. it's yeah. Through, through the control of social media that this, I don't know, I have a spidey sense, Brian, and I'm like smelling this ain't good. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I'm wrong. The um the, the stuff with, with the media uh has been has just been so confrontational. Oh my and, god. Um, I mean personally I I think that and again this is a general comment. I, I don't understand uh, how the general public doesn't demand more or better from whatever media outlet they they uh go to for their news. I think fifty percent um, are. 40% are, and I'm going to go right back to the 60% or 50% that aren't in, up in arms about either side of this are because they're paying the mortgage. And I think the biggest fear these people have, and a, a lot of people have, you know, they say 85, 90% of Americans do not have savings that they could live on for six months. I believe that. That's very common. Uh, yeah. Think about that fear level. Yeah. So if this guy or anybody says, here's your route to food and sustenance, I'm with you. Now take a look at two kids. You know, I love Springsteen for these reasons. When he talks about this, this group, not that he's part of it anymore, but he grew up with it. And you look back and you go, you know, the kids are asleep in the back of the car and we're trying to make our way down south to start a better life. You know, this is what's going on. This is Tom Joad. This is what's going on right now. And yeah, well, I, I, and I, I think that's, that's where a lot of people are getting concerned. And yeah. add one thing. I want to add something to this also. Yeah. Um, you know, just the level of, of uh, or the lack of trust I mean, you know, you can edit people are, you know, the, the, the intentional spread of, of misinformation, um, you know, the, the ability to edit and manipulate, uh, whether it's still photos or video, which can now be done through your mobile device. Um, it's very scary when you, when you get into those who are, uh, purposely deceiving yes. uh, the, the, the public, whether they have a large platform or not. The, the principle is what's alarming to me. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. One last point, and then we're going to do a wrap-up because we can't do more than an hour, they tell me. I don't know what that means. But one of my future guests is, hopefully, he's the chair of the photojournalism department at Rochester Institute of Technology. Wow. He's a four-time Pulitzer Prize winning photojournalist. Wow. And she said, he said yes. Uh, Amy is a, I, I loved Amy in high school. She's brilliant and so much fun. Uh, she said, 
He said, yes, let's see what happens. My first point to him is going to be exactly what you just said, Brian. Should you move the pyramids? If, you know, you need to get that shot right, is it okay to move the pyramids over a couple of pikes or points? Yeah. Brian, I want to thank you for an hour and 10 minutes. Thank you. I got to tell you, Patrick, I, I love coming on. Uh, I love listening to your your discussions with your other guests. And uh, congratulations on this show, man. I, I just, uh, I can't wait to hear what you have next. Thank you. I'm going to give you a little announcement today. And then I'm going to ask our, our last segment. Uh, our returning guest today is a New York Times bestselling author, brand storyteller, adjunct professor at LAU Post, and a member of the Friars Club, uh, Brian Shields. Brian, I really want to thank you. That was very nice what you just said. It's been a great hour. Uh, and we're in the pencils down segment. What did we learn today? I think we learned today that there is no answer to the current ongoing crisis of abusive use of technology through entertainment, news, gaming, social media, what it's going to be. We're only halfway through the tunnel. And I don't know if we know what's coming out the other side. Uh, <laughs> did we learn anything from this little sojourn that we've been living with for 25 years? We're still evolving through it. Will it change anything? I think it's changed us left and right. Uh, strange world, strange world that we're entering. And I feel so guilty for helping to train 200 people to build this world. But it's an amazing space. Brian, dude, thank you so much. Thank you. For the time again. And I'm going to, when school starts, and we is in the same place at the same time easily, I think it's time to go over to the studio and bring other people. I'd love it. Okay, we'll bring one or two of yours, one or two of mine. I'd love it. That'd be great. All right, dude, thank you so much. Have a great day or whatever remainder you have, okay? Thanks, Thanks a lot, Brian. Rock. Paper. Pixels. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit WCWP.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.